0: the words we read in it. First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. In his ministry. And he drew attention to an excerpt from his journal where he had written: Am I under attack by Satan to abandon my post at Bethlehem Baptist Church? What is this steering of God to cause me to consider another ministry? What is this God's way of answering so many prayers recently that we must go a different way at Bethlehem Baptist Church than building i simply loathe the thought of leading the church through a building program for two years i've met for hundreds of hours on committees i've never written a poem about it it is deadening to my soul the church is looking for a vision for the future and i do not have it does this mean that my time at bethlehem baptist church is over does it mean that there is a radical alternative unforeseen does it mean that i am simply in the pits today and unable to feel the beauty and power and joy and fruitfulness of an expanded facility in ministry. O oh Lord, have mercy on me. I am so discouraged. I am so black. I feel like there are opponents on every hand, even when I know that most of my people are for me. Perhaps I shall not even live out the year and you were spading the church-down burden of a future I had made and could not complete. Have mercy, Father have mercy on me, I must preach on Sunday, and I can scarcely lift my head. And then last year, Jeff Robinson wrote the following for the Gospel Coalition. I had just finished the third year of my first full-time pastor. That year had been hellish, to say the least. One Sunday morning a fellow elder, to my surprise, asked the congregation for a vote of confidence on my leadership. He called me a failed leader. The people didn't cooperate, but my family watched the whole thing from the second row. It was the final straw that led to my resignation and a few days later. This evening we're continuing our studies in the life of Elijah and we're focusing on a season of great discouragement that he went through. And we're going to look at this under two headings a discouraged prophet and then a divine encounter. A discouraged prophet and then a divine encounter. First we have a discouraged prophet. You see that in verses one through to five. And in these verses we see Elijah relinquishing his ministry. Now before proceeding, let's remember the context. In 1 Kings 18, we found Elijah engaged in a showdown with Ahab and with the prophets of Baal and the nation of Israel and carnal. He had challenged them with the words, that the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. He had then called down fire from heaven, and the Lord had answered in a spectacular fashion that had left everyone crying out, The Lord He is God, the Lord is he is God. Elijah had gone on to pray to the Lord to send rain on the land. It was a prayer based on the Lord's original promise to send rain on the land, and Elijah had persisted and persevered in prayer until the Lord once again answered in a spectacular fashion. And Elijah had proceeded to run ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the city of Jezebel. He was convinced that Ahab and his wife Jezebel will now repent and turn to the Lord. If they didn't, then surely the people of Israel would remove them from public office. He is convinced that really one way or another, the worship of Israel's covenant God will be restored. And in verses 1 and 2, we hear Jezebel's message to Elijah. Ahab brings a report to his wife Jezebel about the day's events. We see that in verse 1. But he doesn't tell her about anything that the Lord had done. He tells her about what Elijah had done. And Jezebel sends a message to Elijah, saying in verse 2, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She is vowing, may I be struck down if I do not kill Elijah like he has just killed my prophets. And she meant that. That was no empty threat. She had a track record of putting the Lord's prophets to death. You know, what a glimpse into the hardness, the blindness of Ahab and Jezebel. They could be confronted with fire from heaven. They could be confronted with rain from heaven. And yet it doesn't move them one bit. It makes no impact, no impression on them. And so in verses 3 to 5, we see Elijah's collapse. We're told, verse 3, that Elijah was afraid. He sees that Ahab and Jezebel aren't impressed. They're not repenting. But even more discouragingly, he sees that the nation aren't doing anything about it. It would be one thing that Ahab and Jezebel were doing nothing, but the nation were saying, Well, we want to worship the Lord, and so we are going to get rid of Ahab and Jezebel. But they're doing nothing. They're content for things to be the way that they are. And at that moment, this God-centered prophet takes his eyes off the Lord and is gripped by such an overwhelming fear that he runs all the way to Beersheba in Judah. And the author is very clear in saying he went to Judah. He was the prophet for Israel, but he's leaving Israel, and he's going to the southern kingdom of Judah. He is clean for his life. And we're then told that he left his servant there in Beersheba. Now that's significant. We we don't often see this that prophets have servants, they had assistants. And here is Elijah and he is dismissing his servant, effectively disbanding his church session. Removing his ministry team, he thinks that his ministry is finished. Thinks that his ministry is over, and he is now kind of cutting himself off from the people who were closest to him, the people who could speak truth into his life, into his situation. He is no longer having any fellowship with the people of God. We are then told that he went into the wilderness, sat under a broom tree, and prayed, verse four, that he might die. Elijah as we have seen throughout our series was a man of prayer. He had prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. He had prayed that the dead son of a widow would be restored to life he was brought to life. He had prayed that the fire would come down from heaven and fire would come down from heaven. He had prayed that rain would then fall on the earth and rain had fallen on the earth and now this man of prayer is praying once again and what is he praying for? He has prayed that he might die. He still acknowledges that the Lord is sovereign over life. But he is praying passionately and fervently that the Lord might take his life and take him home. You know, sometimes faithful Christians, bright shiny lights, very greatness for the God for God's glory, burn out. They've had enough. And that's what we see in Elijah. And finally we're told he fell under his sleep under a broom key. Look at verse 5 again. He is out of strength and he he takes to his bed. He's finished. He's lost heart. He's he's reached his limit. He can't face the ministry. In fact, he can't even face the rest of the day. It's all become too much for him. The, The isolation. The spiritual opposition. The feelings of emptiness that come from preaching the word of God. The dashed hopes and expectations. It's all taken its toll on this man of faith, this man of God. And he says, I'm going to bed. I wonder if any of us ever reached that stage. We just can't get faith. Well, as we look at Elijah, we have being reminded that sometimes the Lord's people can reach the stage where they've had enough. Sometimes the Lord's people reach the stage where they've had enough. I've often heard, and you've maybe heard them as well, well well-meaning Christians who say that when you come to Jesus, all your troubles disappear. And then they turn around and they say other things, such as the Lord's people should never have dying days. I've heard a very well-meaning Christian one day saying a Christian should never be depressed. But nothing could be further from the truth of Scripture. The Lord's people can become despondent and discouraged. The Lord's people can become afraid and decide to run away from the issues going on in their lives or in their ministries. The Lord's people can throw in the towel and abandon the work that the Lord has called them to. The Lord's people can even have thoughts about just ending it all. Some of the godliest Christians have experienced the darkest nights of the soul can think of Charles Spurgeon wonderful preacher in the 19th century and yet so much of his ministry was spent in a state of depression and his wife Susanna once wrote my beloved son which was so deep and so violent that reason seemed to totter on her throne and we sometimes feared that he would never preach again or we can think of William Cowper that great pen writer, member, writer of Wolf. Walk with God that we sing so often. Behind a frowning providence that the Lord hides a smiling face. A great friend of John Newton, the composer of Amazing Grace, and just weeks before he died, William Cowper said to a friend, I feel unutterable despair. Faithful Christians can become incredibly discouraged. At the 2012 together of the gospel conference, Ligon Duncan addressed the pastors there and he said, maybe you're faithfully ministering to your church and you long to see conversions and you're not seeing them the way you long for. Or you're faithfully ministering in a church and you see the false prophets around you drawing hundreds and thousands of souls while you have 65 people, none of whom get along with each other. Or God has been so kind to bless your ministry with edification and with conversions that your own son is a stranger to Christ. You've been kind out of for 25 years for God to save him out of the darkness and he hasn't answered. Or you've been faithfully serving the Lord and you love Jesus and your wife loves Jesus. But you find yourself saying, I didn't know it was going to be like this Lord. I just wish that she liked me. I don't know what it is for you, you fill in the blank, but the point is there is discouragement that comes, even to faithful servants. And perhaps there are some who are sitting here tonight, or maybe you are listening online, who are going through a season of discouragement, going through a dark night of the soul. Perhaps you are sitting here tonight and you are feeling drained and despondent. You're sitting here tonight and you're feeling Absolutely empty You are exhausted And what you need What I need What we all need Are fresh and heavy doses of the grace Of the in Jesus And that's what we come to now In verses 5 through to 18 Where we have this divine encounter We move from this, the discouraged prophet To the divine encounter Verses 5 to 18 Where we see the Lord restoring Elijah back into ministry. In verses 5 through 8 we see Elijah's encounter with the Lord under the broom tree. Elijah's fallen asleep and an angel comes to him and we're told verse 7 that it's the angel of the Lord, that it's a pre-incarnate appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ and when you come to an end of yourself there is nowhere better to be than in the hands of Jesus the one whose grace is sufficient. When you are bruised and broken, there is no one better to be with than the one who promises not to break a bruised reed or quench a faintly smouldering wick. And the angel of the Lord touches Elijah. That is what Elijah needed. Just a gracious touch. He was isolated. He was alone. And the Lord was saying to him, I'm with you. How many of us over the last year and a half, I remember that first ten weeks of lockdown. Do you remember... Nobody, No physical contact with anyone. Not a hand on my shoulder. Not a handshake at the door because there was no door to go to. No physical contact with anyone. For ten weeks and maybe some of you went even longer than that. It's hard. And here is this angel, this Jesus. And he's touching Elijah just to say, I'm with you. And Elijah, you may have run away from me, but I have not run away from you. And the angel of the Lord feeds him. We are told that the angel said to him, verses 5 to 8, Arise and eat, and he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to follow the Mount of God. You know, the Lord is so wonderful. He knows that sometimes his people don't need a sermon. Sometimes his people don't need to give a lecture. Sometimes what his people need is just a little rest and refreshment. Sometimes his people just need a long lie and some good food in their bellies. Here we find a renewing Elijah's strength, saying, Elijah, here's some food for you. And now have a little sleep, Elijah. Just stay in bed, calm down. And having eaten and slept, Elijah then makes a journey all the way to Florida. That is the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. That is the place where the Lord appeared to his people in days gone by. And in verses 9 through to 18, we see Elijah encountering the Lord on this mountain. We're told that Elijah came to a cave. Look at verse 9. That word cave can be translated as cleft or hollow. And in Hebrew, it literally means he came to the cave. Uh, This is no ordinary cave. It is the cave. If you remember, in Exodus 33, uh, the Lord's glory passes by Moses. And where is Moses when this happens? He is on Mount Sinai, outbore him, and, and he is standing away in a cleft, in a cave, and here is Elijah coming to that same place, that same cave, to encounter that same God. And the Lord asks him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I don't know if any of you watch Fraser, it's about an American psychiatrist. It's a, a comedy show on Fraser's catchphrase is I'm listening and that's reading really what the Lord is saying to Elijah Elijah I'm listening what's going on the Lord knows what's going on but he wants Elijah to speak to him about it to unburden his heart to him And having been given that invitation to speak, Elijah unburdens his heart to the Lord in verse 10. He speaks about himself as he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. And then he speaks about the people. They have forsaken the Lord's covenant. They have thrown down the Lord's altars. They have killed the Lord's prophets. And finally, he says, I alone have left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Now, there's definitely some exaggeration here. There is definitely a bit of a of perspective in Elijah's works. And it would be very easy for us to stand here tonight and say, well, he is such a sorry character. He should just pick himself up, shake himself down, get his act together. But you know, isn't it beautiful to see just how concerned Elijah was about the Lord's cause? He is broken because the Lord's people are dragging the Lord's name through the muck and the mire. He is broken-hearted over the spiritual adultery, the spiritual idolatry of the people of God, and he's saying, "I don't know if I can carry on. I don't know if I can go on in the ministry because I've seen how hard some people are." And sometimes we can reach that stage, haven't we? You see how hard some people can be. You think I can't go on much longer. The Lord doesn't say anything at this stage. He simply instructs Elijah to stand before him. Verses 11 to 13. And as the Lord passes by, a powerful wind and an earthquake and fire follow after him. And there's this repeated refrain that the Lord wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire. And then there is a gentle whisper, a low whisper, or as the authorised version puts it, that still small voice that draws Elijah out of the cave. It is the voice of the Lord, a voice that causes Elijah to wrap his face in his cloak because Elijah is thinking back to his Old Testament, thinking back to Exodus 33: and 34. And you remember the Lord says to Moses, "No man may see my face and live." And so Elijah is saying, "Well, I better cover my face." And as Elijah stands at the entrance of the cave with his face wrapped in his cloak, the Lord asks him the question a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? I remember saying to somebody not so long ago, don't ever say, I'm fine. Because sometimes, you know, we we say to someone, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. And you need to get behind that. And you need to say, well, how are you really doing and here is the Lord, and he's saying here, Yes, Elijah, I've heard what you're saying, but I want to hear it again. I really want to hear you, Elijah. I want to hear what's troubling you. And Elijah gives him that same response. Look at verse 14. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You know, think of all that Elijah has seen and heard from the Lord up until now. He has even been touched by the Lord, even received food and drink from the Lord, but he is still in a pit of despondency, a pit of despair. Phil Reichen writes, even the godliest can become so discouraged that it takes months, even years, before they have recovered. Some of you might know that. You, you can think back to a time when you were really discouraged and it took you a very long time to recover. Maybe you've, you've not recovered. That's Elijah. He's not recovered. Upon hearing Elijah's words, the Lord gives him an assignment. Look at verses 15 to 17. He commands Elijah to go back the way he came. Elijah had relinquished his ministry. He had given up. He had thrown in the towel. And now the Lord is calling him back into service. It will be a different ministry it's going to be less prominent, it's going to be less high profile. The Lord knows that Elijah may not be coping with the ministry that he had been engaged in before, but the Lord hasn't finished with him. The Lord has not written him off. And the Lord instructs Elijah to do three things. He instructs Elijah to anoint Hazael as king over Syria. It shows the Lord's sovereignty over a non-Israelite nation. He instructs Elijah to anoint Jehu as king over Israel. This shows the Lord's sovereignty over the nation that are progressively abandoning him under the reign of Ahab. And he instructs Elijah to anoint Elisha to be his successor. That shows the Lord's sovereignty over his word. That his word will not be silenced even after Elijah is gone. You know, Elijah had it all figured out that the Lord's cause would prosper. And would prosper through fire from heaven. And it would prosper through great rainfalls from heaven. And Elijah was sure that he would see it all happen in his own day. And the Lord says to him, effectively, no, Elijah. No. My cause is going to prosper. But it's not going to prosper through fire from heaven. And it's not going to prosper through great rainfalls coming from heaven. It's going to prosper, Elijah, through my word. And through the political processes over which I am sovereign, and then the Lord has His touch. And Elijah, you're not going to see it. You're going to have a success of it. You're not going to see it. You know Elijah would be bitterly disappointed because he felt the Lord had let him down. But the Lord hadn't let him down. This man made plans to let him down. And the Lord is reminding Elijah that he is sovereign, and he works when he pleases, where he pleases, how he pleases, and through whom he pleases. He is not a tame lion, he cannot be put in a box. And having said all this, the Lord gives Elijah a final word of comfort and assurance. Look at verse 18. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. That is really the Old Testament equivalent of Matthew 16, where Jesus says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. The Lord is saying, Elijah, you are discouraged. And you're discouraged, Elijah, because you think you're the only one left. You think you're the only faithful one. And you're afraid because when you die, my cause will just wither away to nothing. You will, there will be no more people worshipping me in Israel or in Judah. Elijah. Elijah have my people and I will have my people I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it nothing that Ahab can do, nothing that Jezebel can do, nothing that anyone else can do can prevail against my cause well friends if we focus on these divine encounters to divide up with the Lord first on under the broom tree and then On the mountain, I want to note three ways in which the Lord encourages and ministers to his very discouraged prophet. First, the Lord reminds Elijah of his compassion. He provides Elijah with rest and refreshment because he's compassionate, because he cares. The devil loves to whisper in the ears of the Lord's discouraged people, Your God doesn't care about you. And this passage is saying, you have a God who knows and cares about the physical needs of his people, the spiritual needs of his people, even the mental and emotional needs of his people. This passage is saying, you have a compassionate God who knows that sometimes what you need is rest and refreshment, and he's not going to grudge you this. This is a bit of an issue when we do nothing but rest and refresh ourselves. And so on Sunday mornings, that, that past day, you're just lying in bed saying, well, I need my rest and refreshment. Bit of an issue there. But the Lord knows that sometimes we need that bit of rest. That bit of refreshment. He is so compassionate. Second, so the Lord reminds Elijah of his commitment. He brings Elijah here to Mount Horeb. And the cave in which Moses had once stood he brings Elijah to the place where he established his covenant spoken to his people given them his law revealed his presence declared his character highlighted his steadfast love and he is saying remember this Elijah that is who I am I haven't changed I am a committed God and I am committed to my covenant and to my people The devil loves to whisper in the ears of the Lord's discouraged people your God has abandoned you Your God isn't there for you. Your God is fickle. Your God is forgetful. Your God is faithless. How many of you heard that over lockdown? Honestly, how many of you heard the devil whisper that to you over lockdown? And this passage is saying you have a God who remains committed to his people. Committed to all his promises to them. He's a God of unyielding love, unwavering love unrelenting love, undying love. He's a God of steadfast love. And then third, the Lord reminds Elijah of his control. He reminds Elijah that he is in control over the nation The news and thought, everything is in chaos, everything is a mess, the world is collapsing, the devil would love it if you read, listen to Gordon Jameson's Facebook update tonight, and we're like thinking, life is just awful, and what on earth is going to happen to us? What's going to happen to my work? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to this church? What's going to happen? And this passage is saying, you have a God who is still in full control. He is in control. He never vacates his throne. And he reigns over the nation and the nations. And there's a wee story. I, I think I told it to the gal who came with once upon a time about this man who was in a flat and he went down to see an older man. And the older man was in a wheelchair, and the man said to this older man who was in a wheelchair, eh, anything new from Lewis because that's what he said and uh, the older man said to him, well the man, the older older man had a tuning fork in his hand and he hit the tuning fork uh, on his wheelchair and he said to him, that is a middle C the man across the road is singing flat, the woman singing upstairs is singing too high but this is a middle C and it will always be a middle C there is nothing that can change this middle C and sometimes that's what we need to remind ourselves, that nothing changes when it comes to the Lord's control, the Lord's sovereignty. Perhaps some of you came here tonight feeling disheartened. You came here tonight feeling discouraged. You wondered what on earth you were doing coming to this place. And there may be no quick fix for what you're going through. But my hope and prayer is that you would know and that you would take heart from knowing that there is a God who is compassionate. There is a God who is committed. There is a God who is in control. There is a Lord who has promised to never leave or forsake his people. There is a Lord who promises to go with his people through the fires and through the waters. There is a Lord who is close to his people, who who draws near to his people and hence. His name is Jesus. And he's a friend of six closer than any brother. Elijah thought he was without any friends. And the angel of the Lord Jesus comes to him. Just as he comes to all those who are weary and heavily laden tonight. And he says to them, come to me and I will give you Because when I visit you, you say you're fine. Just as when you come to mine, I say I'm fine. None of us really knows what anyone is really going through. But there is a friend who knows. And he invites us to lay our burdens on him. The one who is compassionate, committed and in control.